Hello, and welcome to the Doctors Washington Podcast. On this episode of The Plug, we'll jump into what the first one to two years in medical school typically looks like. There are about 160 MD granting schools and nearly 40 DL granting schools in the United States. There's no standardized format for how medical schools set up their curriculum across years one through four, but most typically follow the outline we will discuss today. As we mentioned in previous episodes, taking as many science courses in college as possible can only benefit you in this journey. The first year of medical school is very similar to your college science courses, but in warp speed. College courses may be covered in only a few weeks of medical school and serve as a background to build upon. Some of the courses typically covered in the first year of medical school include histology, which is basically what things look like under the microscope, pathology, which is looking at the non-normal, so what's not normal when you have a disease process, that's pathology. Physiology, which is looking at the normal. So how are things supposed to work? Microbiology looks at the study of bacteria and viruses. Biochemistry kind of looks at the chemical element of biology. So the chemical makeup of the things that are going on within your body. And then pharmacology, which is the study of medication. So if any of these courses are available in your institution and you are sure that medicine is your next step, if you have time, then definitely consider taking any one of these courses. It will only help you to succeed when in medical school. If you're still in college, these courses can be an introduction to what you'll see in medical school. They will not help you get into medical school. I don't really think that medical school admissions committees really look that detailed into which courses you take, but this is just a backbone of information to make that time in medical school a little bit easier. And like Dr. Latanya just mentioned, a lot of the information that you're learning in medical school is rapid fire. And so, like we said in previous episodes, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. That's the amount of information that you're getting in a short period of time. And so it's helpful to have taken some of these courses before. I'll say in my experience, I was a biochemistry major in college, and I felt that it helped a little for medical school. We did have a physiology course in my undergrad that I didn't take. I probably should have taken it. (laughs) It would have made particularly the renal module a little bit easier because that nearly killed me. I would not recommend necessarily taking a pharmacology course in undergrad, mainly because it could help you, but the way that we learn pharmacology is so different from the way that pharmacists learn it. And more than likely, your pharmacology course in undergrad will be geared towards those who are interested in pharmacy. And so you may get into the nitty gritty, which we don't really focus on nearly as much. In medical school, as we mentioned previously, testing occurs pretty frequent. So in college is where you really should perfect your study skills, because if you wait until you get to medical school in order to do it, you may be a bit behind. All good points. Like Dr. Kimberly just mentioned, studying habits are going to be key. 
I know for me, that was a shocker, <laughs> but I knew my studying skills weren't the greatest in college, but you don't want to be the person that gets jarred by starting in medical school and really learning how to study appropriately because things move so quickly that you can easily lose track of all of the things that you have to learn over a short period of time because everything builds upon itself. So it's better to learn as much as you can about some of these subjects earlier on, just because it makes that transition that much easier. In addition to some of those other topics that Dr. Kimberly mentioned, another thing that may be offered in college, but is different in medical school is anatomy. In medical school, anatomy usually involves laboratory sessions with cadavers or individuals who have passed away but made the decision to donate their bodies for the advancement of science and the education of budding physicians-to-be. This is a more hands-on approach to learning, kind of like how you learned in many chemistry courses. This is a course where you're typically dissecting different parts of the body with a group of students and learning in that way. You're teaching yourself to recognize landmarks and recognize structures, not something that's just seen in a textbook or on a slide, which can be a very different experience. I know that was something that was also a big transition for me. It's always going to be important, no matter what field of medicine you decide to pursue, just because knowing anatomy is another one of those foundation courses that helps you to build upon some of the knowledge that you gain in later years. It's also important because all patients are different. And so what you'll notice is that typically in most anatomy courses, because there are multiple cadavers, you typically are seeing structures in a number of different individuals and you see that there's variation between each individual. It teaches you to learn the foundation, but know that there can be some variation, which is some foresight into the art of medicine as well. Also, one of the courses in your first couple of years of medical school would be a course to teach you the beginnings of patient care interactions. It's really important as physicians that you have good people skills, that you're able to interact with patients and able to elicit the correct information from patients because they may not always present in a textbook type of way. In these courses, you'll learn how to interview patients, you'll learn how to examine patients, so you learn how to do all the different components of the history and physical exam. You get to take a review of systems and a social history and learn how all of those things really interact to help you come up with a diagnosis for the patient. When you're doing the examination, usually in these courses, you'll do targeted exams. So you may do a couple of weeks on the examination of the heart or the lungs or the chest exam. Then you'll do more time on the abdominal exam. And then you may be tested as well to make sure that you're competent in performing those examinations. Understand that in your first couple of years of medical school, most of the time the exams that you do will be normal exams because it's very important that you know what a normal exam is so that when you encounter something that's abnormal, then you'll be able to decipher that as well. It's very different when you go into these types of courses because of how you're tested. They want to make sure that you achieve a competency before you are able to go on and examine patients. A lot of schools also incorporate OSCE, so it's O-S-C-E, the Objective Structured Clinical Examination. 
And that's a really great tool to help students really hone in on those physical examination skills and making sure that they're doing those exams appropriately. A lot of schools will also pair students with attendings of various specialties to be able to shadow those attendings. And then that's where you get your one-on-one in-person practice on your skills on real patients. And often on those times when there's something abnormal, then that time that you spend with your attending, you'll be able to pull that out and at least see some really cool physical exam findings. Another thing to consider in your preclinical years is to look for opportunities to take medical ethics courses. This is something that we really don't put as much emphasis on when we're teaching in medical school and in residency, but this is a huge element of what we do, mainly because when we talk about ethics, what we're dealing with is some of these decision-making things that go on within medicine in which sometimes the family of a patient may be in disagreement with what the patient may want to do, or the patient may be in disagreement with what the medical community allows for. These become ethical questions. And oftentimes at your hospital or in your environment, there are ethics boards that manage those things. And we don't really discuss the element of ethics much at all, even though ethics is required in our continued medical education because it's something that's so important. And so if there's an opportunity to sit in on a lecture about medical ethics, definitely take a moment to sit and be taught about some of the complexities in decision-making because oftentimes you will encounter circumstances. I'm sure you've heard many years ago, there was a young woman who was somewhat comatose, I guess you could say, and her husband disagreed with her parents as to what to do, whether to stop all treatment and allow her to die. And it became a huge ethical issue and a huge ethical discussion that made the national news. And so those sorts of things matter to us because it puts us as physicians between a rock and a hard place. When the person who ultimately can make the decision one way or the other disagrees with another very important family member. Similarly, this happens probably more frequently amongst our pediatric population. One major medical ethics question is when, for example, you have a young child whose parents are Jehovah's Witness and they do not accept blood products. And if that child, for whatever reason, may need blood in order to save their life, that becomes an ethical problem when the parents are saying that they don't believe in that and they're willing for their child to die for it. And that creates a lot of difficulty within the medical community and in taking care of patients. And so that's the reason why medical ethics is an important topic that we all have to care about. More recently, some of the newer things that have come on the scene, which have always been there, but are becoming more openly discussed, are healthcare disparities. This is a huge thing that encompasses race, ethnicity, as well as gender identity. So being able to sit and understand some of those complexities within healthcare disparities is really, really important. And this is important for those who are part of some of these underrepresented groups, as well as those who are not. Learning about where healthcare disparities exist, how you as a medical student, how you as a resident, or you as a practicing physician can actively work against those disparities is really important. And so taking courses and or sitting in on lectures, particularly at your national organizations. They frequently will have these. 
in order to learn about healthcare disparities is really important because it can really impact patients of yours who fall into those categories who may have a more difficult time getting the care that they need because of the way that the system is designed. I would say another element that I'm seeing now, I recently got an email from a medical school I'm on faculty with about signing up for a course on gender pronouns and the appropriate use of gender pronouns. And that's huge. I mean, that's something that we're discussing more and more now. And I actually wanted to sign up for it because there's quite a bit that I don't know about how to address people who may not want to be addressed as he or she. And so I felt like that would be a good opportunity to learn about the appropriate and respectful way to interact with people who are more gender fluid. So these are all things that matter because these are the patients you interact with. And I will say that it matters to the patient when you can respect them based on who they are. And so these things are important for us all to learn about. When I was in medical school, I feel like these were new topics that were starting to become incorporated into our curriculum where we were able to have these discussions about ethics and disparities and how we can acknowledge any biases that we have and how we can remove them so that we can take care of patients appropriately. I thought this is a change for the better in medicine that we've been going through for the last decade or so. I think that those are all positive things. We've also mentioned a lot of other facets of learning in the first year of medical school, jumped into what courses and things that individuals in their first year would be experiencing. But as your knowledge grows over that first year with groundwork laid by that coursework, then in your second year, you transition to typically organ system-based learning. And the information that you learned on a broader scale in year one helps you to better understand organ system-specific topics. There are typically are short courses about cardiology or study of the heart or hematology, study of blood diseases or oncology, studies of solid tumors, pulmonology, study of the lungs, nephrology, study of kidney diseases, etc. Typically, you go through multiple sessions of cardiology, like looking at the histology of the heart and then the pathology of the heart and then learn about pathologic conditions and how the physiology can be altered in disease processes within cardiology. So it's broken down similarly to the structure that you learned back in year one, but on an organ system basis. As you're learning about these different diseases in textbooks and from specialists in these fields, what it does is it connects the textbook pathology to what clinical conditions look like in real life and what symptoms you would expect, what physical exam findings you would expect to find. So it really bridges that gap between what's in the textbook and what you see in real life. One of the things that is important to realize is that not all schools do this coursework in two years. Sometimes it's in a lesser amount of time. Some schools tend to encourage research, which is separate, but can be packaged in your preclinical years. Students that are interested in subspecialties may tend to want to do research because it kind of enhances your application. You may be able to hop on some publications, which will also enhance your application for residency or fellowship. You have to remember that at the end of your first two clinical years, you will sit for the USMLE Step 1, which is your first board exam. 
So the first two years of medical school or whatever time period that your school does the preclinical coursework is what will take you into that step one exam. And so it's really important that we spend some time talking about that USMLE step one or the first step of your board examinations, because those scores that you make during those tests will go on to help you be a competitive candidate for your residency. So the step one exam, from my understanding, is going to transition to a pass-fail in February 2022. So that's a little bit different than when we took our step one exams because we actually got a numbered score and they actually stratified those numbers. And that was what made you more or less competitive for your residency spot. Understand that step one is an all-day test. I know many of us, we spent several weeks studying for that test and getting ready for it, but it really is a good framework and benchmark as to what you learned in your preclinical years. So everything in the first two years, you're working up to be able to prepare for that step one test. It's essentially your basic sciences examination. And then as you progress through the medical school years, then you will go on to the next step of the USMLE or the board exam, which would be the clinical section. Thank you, Dr. LaTanya and Dr. Jasmine for summing this up about some things we all wish we knew while we were in our preclinical years. These are some real gems of information, guys, that they're giving out here in order for you to make the most of your time prior to going into clinical years. Because once you get clinical, the time goes away for a lot of this learning of the basics. You tend to have to learn on the fly. So it's really important to get these things out of the way prior to then. So I just want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. Please like, share, and repost our content. Follow our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon Music to be the first to catch our weekly episodes, which post each Wednesday. Until next time. The music on the Doctors Washington podcast is by artist Mike Burton. He's a Jackson, Mississippi native. On his album, Soulful, and the track is entitled All Right. It is available on iTunes. I believe that it's gonna be alright.